Welcome to Minutes with Mary, special podcast mini-series on conversational intelligence. I'm your host, Mary Stellatello, and I'm joined by co-host Deb Shannon, another certified conversational intelligence coach. We decided to launch this mini-series to offer tools to have the conversations that we are called to have during this time. We're living in an era that has rocked our foundation on so many levels. The global pandemic, racial reckoning, economic collapse, and the climate crisis. It can be paralyzing. Every conversation resonates in and around us. Conversations stick with us internally and they stick to us externally. On the outside, people sense dis-ease in one another. So you can't effectively hide from a bad feeling conversation, whether that's at home, at work, or in your community. However, we can find our way together through conversations that build trust. Each episode will offer tools and resources to have conversations to transform the world. We aspire to create a sense of relief and confidence that small and sustainable changes are possible and it is a matter of mustering the will to take that next step. So let's get started. In today's episode of the Conversational Intelligence mini-series, Deb and I will begin with some of the foundational building blocks for having difficult conversations. It starts with you and how you carry yourself. Hi, it's Mary Stellatello with Vista Global Coaching and Consulting. A little bit about my background. I'm an ICF PCC credentialed coach and certified in conversational intelligence. I spent 30 years in the philanthropic and social sector, supporting individuals and organizations committed to making the world a better place through organizational transformation and leadership development. And it all begins with conversations. Deb, I'm so excited to be launching this mini-series with you. You want to just give a little bit of a background on who you are? Absolutely. Thanks so much, Mary. I am a certified coach with the International Association of Coaches and by the Conversational Intelligence. And I work with B Corp's founders and funders to develop a culture of conversation where outcomes far exceed expectations. So, I actually have a little ritual that I like to start conversations with. Would you be interested in in trying out a check-in ritual? Of course. I love check-in rituals. You do. That's just awesome. That's awesome. So let me give our audience a little bit of background on this. Our lives are full in every aspect of home and work and community and I can hear your voice and I can see you on screen. And that doesn't mean that I can see what else is going on for you today. All of the elements of of family and community, like I mentioned, that enter into the conversation that are in the room with us. So some of those things can really affect tone and intention, how I receive information. All of that affects the conversation. So the idea behind checking in is really simple. Just by naming some of the other things that are in the room with us and invisible, we actually free up space to be present in the conversation together. So let me just ask you, Mary, what's going on for you today? Ah, 
Thanks for asking that. Just asking that question, Deb, like gives me openness because you're putting your attention on me. And for me today, I've had a, a great day already. I actually had a webinar on conversational intelligence this morning. So I'm really juiced up about this topic today. I'm super excited to continue exploring it with you. How about for you? Thank you for asking. So I have some neat business opportunities going on that really pump the adrenaline through my system and make me speak a little fast. And uh, balancing that is this big family conversation that I'm heading into later on this evening. So I'm really glad to have this opportunity to talk about conversational intelligence with you because I'm always looking to, to balance all these different aspects of myself and conversation. Awesome. You know, let's dive into that because we're talking about conversational intelligence. We're talking about the neuroscience of conversations. And there's probably a few of our listeners that aren't totally clear about what that is. So how would you describe the neuroscience of conversations to someone who's never heard that before? Well, you know, it's a great question. And... Like I just said, I'm always trying to balance this stuff that's going on inside of me. And what we don't recognize most of the time is that the chemicals that course through our bodies, we typically only feel when we have like a shot of adrenaline or we're really sad. But in every moment, language affects how we feel and whether or not we feel protected or open, engaged, curious, those sorts of things. And all of those feelings are actually opening up neural pathways to the brain or shutting them down. And the neurotransmitters that are balancing how much is open or closed are cortisol and oxytocin. So the neuroscience of conversation really shines a light on tools that we can just pull off the shelf to open up neural pathways and to look up why I shut down because that's a physical event that happens when cortisol builds up in your system. You shut down pathways of the brain. So does that help tackle what the neuroscience of conversations is? I think that is a great start. That foundational aspect of What's happening in our brains happens before we actually know its impact on our bodies and yeah. our words. And I love, you know, the really one of the foundational statements from Judith Glazier, who you and I both were so fortunate to have the opportunity to learn from, you know, the founder of the Creating We Institute and so much of this work that we continue to move forward with that words create worlds and words either will activate cortisol and move us to protecting ourselves and move us to the primitive brain where we are trying to determine, should I run from this person like a lion or is this a little cute kitty cat and I want to hold it. And those words fundamentally make us shift in 0.07 seconds from when our brain identifies with that, you know, we can be within 10 feet of someone and our brain is activating something called the amygdala, or I like to use the framework that we used in conversational intelligence of Amy G. Dalla, kind of giving the amygdala a, 
a physical entity. It also helped me spell it. But mm-hmm. is Amy D. Dalla here? And what is she doing right now? Is she telling me I better run? I'm afraid. Or is she saying, oh, this is wonderful. And oxytocin starts pumping and it moves me to a place where I can really have trust with this person and engage in a conversation with them. Right. Good old Amy. Is she the boss of me? (laughs) She's the boss of all of us. Well, exactly, because it's survival mode. And one aspect of that that I like to think about a lot when we're in what we call amygdala hijack, when you have that triggered response and you feel like you almost feel like another person sometimes saying or feeling things that are extraordinary for you, recognizing that we can practice to establish our, our own rituals for recognizing what those feelings mean, and then flipping to a state where we trigger a thought of something that we love, something that makes us happy, something we can rely on, and make the choice to literally bring our thought patterns forward towards the prefrontal cortex, which is the space in our brains where we have the power to envision the future. And you can only do that from a state of mind that is trusting, that is nurturing, that is curious. It points to we. This is a conversation that takes all of us. And we're in this frame of mind that says we can build together. We're part of a partnership. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And, you know, on the flip side of that, what I recognize and I've really tried to help clients that I've worked with is that when we are in that amygdala hijack or that primitive part of our brain when the cortisol is pumping, it's impossible physically to have a quality conversation because our brain, we can't activate that part of our brain when we are flushed with cortisol. And the science shows us that actually cortisol stays in our system for 26 hours. So you can't keep pushing on a conversation if you're in that part of your brain. So even recognizing in the moment, whoa, I'm in this place of my primitive brain and I kind of got hijacked to say, pause. Okay, let's come back to this conversation and, and commit to coming back to it after you've been able to use some practices to help you downregulate that cortisol. Yeah, exactly. And this takes us back to why we check in with each other. If I had an explosive teenager conversation last night, it literally still lives in my body. So on top of the fact that I have a biological attachment to that person, I am also still feeling the effects of it in my body, whether I name it or not, it, it's that conversation sticks to me and in me. So, so true. Well, I wanted to get to this question about, so we've talked about, we have to be aware of the cortisol levels in our brain and the amygdala hijack. One of the things just on a day-to-day basis that we can train ourselves to take advantage of is being aware of what we tell ourselves all the time. Like what kind of, so tell me, Mary, yeah, you're a super positive, energetic person. What kind of things do you tell yourself regularly that prime you for the next conversation you're going to have? Mm, Great question. And, you know, so important for every conversation that we engage in 
to come in with like, this is going to be a great conversation. I'm super excited to talk with you, Deb, right in this moment and anyone else that I'm going to be having a conversation with. So that helps elevate the oxytocin as I'm entering into a conversation. So we may be having some listeners going, okay, well, not every conversation you're super excited to have. So how do you... (laughs) How do you how do you prepare yourself for those kind of conversations so that you are moving into them with more of a we mindset than a protect myself mindset? You know, what I do in those moments is I think, how do I want this other person to feel after our conversation? And so that puts me in the place of thinking about what kind of experience do I want them to have with me? after that conversation. How about for you? I I love that you start the conversation with the end in mind. And that is the key to building an intention around your outcome. And one of the things that I like to sprinkle seeds around at the beginning of every conversation is my own curiosity about the infinite possibilities of where this conversation could go. I allow myself to be surprised even when I might be inclined to say, well, if you set your intentions low enough, Deb, you won't be disappointed. But I don't want to think that way because that already sounds like I'm set up for a loss. Mm -hmm. I can flip it and say, there's more to this person than I know. If I ask a couple of good questions, I might find it heartwarming and building confidence. Right. And so that really points to one of the conversational essentials of being open to influence. Like you're, you're going into that conversation with curiosity and possibility. Something might come that I had no idea would show up in this conversation with that kind of energy and excitement, if you will. Yeah. You know, we put ourselves in a feel good space, which makes us more resilient for anything that comes at us that might be difficult to, to take. So I've played sports my entire life. And I always look at this in a framework of taking a wide stance. If I take that wide stance, I won't be knocked off balance as easily. And priming myself for a positive, potential rich conversation is a way of of just stabilizing. I'm going to create a stable position for myself and, and in doing that, create a container for a safe conversation for all of us. You know, I love that metaphor around sports because I've played sports my whole life too. And it's so funny because I actually often share that, like, I didn't realize this, but I think I had my first courageous conversation when I was nine years old and I wanted (laughs) to play baseball on the baseball team in my town and it were all boys and I wanted to play. But creating that stance of possibility and positivity, you know, you're, you're really also talking about the environment. How are we setting up the environment that we're going to have this conversation in so that it fosters trust and building relationship is one of the things you just mentioned. And really starting with that intention around a shared vision of where do we want to go together. So you just named a couple of things and I, I just like to 
it's a drilling exercise, run that home again, is priming for trust, setting that framework. So let's actually just talk about some of the tools that we can use to do that really quickly. So something that I like to work on with groups in particular is to set up something called rules of engagement, where everybody who's in the conversation names what is important to them. So you don't interrupt it's important to a lot of people, but some people find it constructive or something. It's different for everybody. But let the people in the room name what's important to them in a safe conversation so that everybody feels they, their voice has been heard and add that piece of structure that says when somebody disregards the group's rules for engagement, then we will say or do this. This is the follow-on. And it's just crystal clear. Yeah. And that piece, that follow-on accountability piece is the difference, right? How many times have we been in a meeting and it's like, okay, what are our rules of engagement? Or I often use group agreements and people put everything up there, but then there's no accountability if somebody sort of veers off by accident. People are trying to be intentional. But that accountability piece helps sync up that group to these commitments to each other for a positive experience together in that moment. And that is so important. And it really does shift. I think there's another piece that I also use in that rules of engagement group agreements process, which is a, another tool called double clicking. Because someone could say, well, respect each other. Okay, well what does respect mean to you? Because that's going to be very different than to me. So double clicking is really drilling down on that particular word. Again, remember words create worlds. What's it mean for you so that we can really paint that out and create a shared meaning collectively for everybody in the group. Yeah. And even if we don't quite get to having a shared Meaning, I mean, you do have to, that's not really that hard to do. What I found super powerful is when people in the room name their different definitions of respect. So I've also done this with trust and the spectrum is eye opening to everybody in the group. So trust, I had one group, 12 people, trust to one person meant 24 seven, you have my back and I can call you. <laughs> trust to another person that at the table just only meant if you say you're going to deliver this to me, then it happens that day, that time on time. And it's a very different set of perceptions. That exercise is so eye opening and really showing where there are reality gaps because the reality gaps are where we start to have difficult conversations. And that's where you're closing that gap. So I'd love for, of course, we're going to continue these conversations over many episodes to come. And I really would love for us to kind of wrap for today on, you know, here's some takeaways for you as the listeners. And it's just a couple questions. So Deb, what do you want to offer up here? Well, you know, recognize that in the moment you have a choice about the success of your conversation, that you actually have the power to balance the cortisol and oxytocin in your brain. Picture bringing positive feelings 
forward in your head by reminding yourself of happy moments in your life, of things you're looking forward to, of something positive that gives you a sense of warmth. Mm-hmm. And do that reflection on a conversation. So, you know, mm-hmm. as you get better at using these tools, that ability to reflect in the moment will start to get closer. But in the beginning, those reflections happen oftentimes long after the conversation. So at that point, ask yourself that question. How did that conversation go? How well did I regulate my oxytocin and my cortisol? And what could I do differently moving forward for that to be different the next time? And we're going to talk about that more in our next episode on the different levels of conversation that we're in with people and how we can use some tools to shift that oxytocin and cortisol balance. So with that, I think we're going to wrap. You've got me primed, primed for trust and excitement and another positive conversation. Thank you, Mary, so much. Super excited to launch with you today, Deb, and looking forward to our next episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to Minutes with Mary Conversational Intelligence mini-series with your co-hosts, Mary Stellatello and Deb Shannon. Do you want to continue this conversation? We'll hop over to either one of our LinkedIn pages at Mary Stellatello or Shannon Coaching. You can listen to all episodes on either of our websites, Vista Global Coaching and Consulting website at vistaglobalcc.com or Shannon Resources website at debshannon.co. If you like what you hear, let's connect on Twitter at VistaGlobalMary and CIQShannon. We look forward to connecting for our next conversation. Mm -hmm.